Hi everybody, so I wanted to talk about an experience that I had. I spent seven days, really more like five full days and two half days, at a Rinzai Zen Buddhist monastery doing spiritual practice, mostly meditation. They call it a meditation retreat. One of the most hardcore, um, probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life by far. So I wanted to explain this. First, if you're interested in such things, to do it yourself, but also just the perspective is very useful anyway, even if you're not. So follow me through with this. So you get there, me and my friend went up there. You get there um, about 7 o'clock on Monday night, and you kind of walk up and nobody really talks to you, and you see all these monks in robes, and you're kind of confused, right? So short, long story short, you find out there's this little room. It's like 3 foot by 4 five or six foot. That's where all 20 people got to keep all their stuff. So you go in and you sit down and they start with um, Zazen, which is sitting meditation. And so the first night, you're, um, they're very, very strict. So the first night you're sitting there and everybody's in pretty excruciating pain. So you're with about five or six monks who live at the monastery and about 15 lay people, they call them, people like me that just came there for that. And so the monks are the ones running it. The main guy is called the Jitso. He's not the Roshi. He's not the teacher, but he's the Jitso. He runs the group and the Roshi, the teacher, is who you only see sometimes during allotted times. So he's very strict and very hardcore. So you sit down and the first taste we get of it, they say Zazen, sitting meditation, and you got to sit down instantly. So you're sitting on the mat for a couple hours Monday night. Everyone's in excruciating pain. So first you think, maybe let me adjust myself a little bit. And then he'll yell at you, don't move. Or you think like, oh, I got to shake my toe a little bit. And then it's stop fidgeting. So everyone's staying still. And everybody thinks you're yelling at, he's yelling at you. He's yelling at everybody. So um, you start to close your eyes a little bit. You're like, man, maybe I could relax. And they say, open your eyes. So Zen sitting meditation is eyes open. So you can't even, you can't close your eyes. If you start to nod a little bit, they'll scream, wake up and bang, sometimes even bang something. And so I think I'm like, well, they haven't given me any technique and I'm pretty well versed in yogic meditation practices. So I'm going to do some breathing. But someone else next to me tried that and you hear right away, breathe quietly. So it's like, it's very intense. So they take you through a couple things the first night. You get to eat a meal. We eat about 20 meals there throughout the time, three a day. Same bowls. Use the same bowl, same napkin to clean them. You clean them by they pour a little bit of tea in it and you use a pickle to get up all your stuff and you drink it all. Not very sanitary. And so you're chanting during the meal. You're chanting in Japanese and you got to line up all your bowls perfectly. You got to put the chopsticks up and down. You can get a decent amount of food, but you have to eat the entire meal in about a minute and a half, maybe two minutes. Because the, the jitsu eats so quick, and you have to be done when he's done. If you're the last one, everyone stares at you, and you got about five seconds to scarf down whatever you have left. So you eat the whole meal in about a minute and a half, two minutes, walk back out formally, right back into seated meditation. So that was like a little taste of the first night. Um, your body's in a lot of pain. They've given you no technique. Your mind's going crazy. You wake up the next morning, four in the morning. They walk in. Everyone's sleeping in the zendo. They say some word in Japanese. You got to be on your feet in two seconds, maybe three seconds, maybe like two or three seconds. You got to be right on your feet, ready to go. If not, you're getting yelled at.
So you get 20 minutes in the morning. The first morning we wake up, this guy's already going home. He's like, I'm out of here. So he packs up all his stuff and he leaves. And so after that, every full day, you're in seated meditation about six to 10 hours a day. It's on a beautiful 17 acres of woodland. So sometimes you get to free sit where you could either meditate or you could walk around. You can't talk to anyone, can't even look people in the eyes because that's a form of communication. If you get caught in conversation, they're gonna yell at you. Um, you can't, you can only talk about like, you have to work, there's an hour and 45 minute work period. So if you have to ask someone like, what can I use? So these people are not interested, they're not interested in where you came from. They don't care who you are. You can't ask them anything about them. They don't care your interests. They don't care your hobbies. They don't care your family and friends. They don't care anything about you because they're focused on a place. Not that they don't care about you. They probably love you more than anyone you've ever met. More compassion and care. But they are trying to take you beyond your normal structures and functions of mind, beyond your ego, beyond your habitual tendencies. And they're trying to keep you constantly alert and aware so you have no time for your mind to start like rolling in its thought process and like projections because you're always thinking I mean you're never thinking normally you're always thinking here you cannot think you have to keep acting and you're not sleeping enough for your thought process to even function really so you're just like oh my god so you're doing this first couple of days miserable your body hurts so bad I mean you're sitting for hours and hours on end every 30 minutes you gotta walk super high speed in like a square for like two minutes and then you sit for another 30 so the second night or the first night the first full night but the second night that you're there the Roshi comes in that's the teacher and the teacher is just a spiritual jewel and the teacher here he's an author and he's traveled the world and studied in India and Japan, but he's really a, a spiritual jewel. Like you can feel this powerful energy emanating off him. And he's funny too, but he gives us, his, his, it's called Taisho, and it's like a Dharma talk in Buddhism. It's like a talk about the path, about the truth. And he says, you know, he talks, he starts to talk right away about Samadhi, which Samadhi is basically a super conscious state. When you're seeing things different, the normal reality. Samadhi is like getting into spiritual planes of existence. And so that's what he does. He teaches people how to break through barriers and go into Samadhi and towards ultimate enlightenment. So he gets off explaining Samadhi like just right away. He's like, you might go into the Samadhi outside of time and space where everything's black like lacquer or many other Samadhis that you can enter. He says, but you know, just keep going no matter what you enter. He says, oh, many thoughts and emotions will arise. You'll see probably pictures appear on the floor and hear sounds, which I later did. He said, that just means you're trying. Don't worry about it. Keep going. And then he says, you know, we're trying to uproot. We're trying to uproot these tendencies that have kept us in bondage from beginningless time. And this girl asks, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, they're what keeps us on samsara, on the wheel of birth and death is the um, understanding of Buddhism. And he says, he's like, I don't care what you believe in, but uh, if you if you don't believe that and you believe that you die when the mind and body dies, he's like, he's like, I don't know why you put yourself through this. He's like, you might as well go out on the town and go do something fun. But uh, if you do, he's like, that's why we're here. So everyone that's there 
for the most part, is a very serious practitioner. You don't go to a thing like that. Um, you know, half of them that were practicing with are monks that live there. One guy's going to be living there for six years. It wasn't just locals. Locals. One of the monks is from Germany. One's from North Carolina. One of the guys from California. That's all I could find out because you can't really ask anyone anything. But, like, that was a little bit I found out. So, that's what the teacher says. And so everyone's kind of in pain. And the first day's rough. The second day's rough. It starts to get a little bit better. Um, by the third day, you're, you know, you're exhausted the first couple days. Like hiding behind rocks, trying to lay down for 10 minutes. Like, it's tough. You get five minutes to take a shower. I had no towel. I run there first. Like, go in the cold shower for two and a half minutes. You gotta wipe it down. And then I, like, put my clothes on soaking wet and, like, run out of there. So it was a tough, um... It was a tough experience. Sleep on the floor with like a sleeping bag. By day three, people start getting pretty deep. On day three, this guy breaks out in tears in the middle of the zendo, this, the meditation room, and they put him in a different room. And I'm like, well, that's weird. Day three, I break out in tears for no reason as I'm sitting there for a whole 30 minutes sitting. And I tell the Roshi, and you got to understand, the Roshi doesn't care about that either because that's still part of your rational you know your mind he's trying to get you even way beyond that so he says oh that's just purify purification that's probably just purifying some old karma of yours whether big or small just you know let it go do what you got to do go cry about it if you have to and then just move on if i keep following your breath because on day two he gave us the practice and um i'm not going to explain it but it's a very simple breath following practice the important part about it is the non-dualistic aspect where he doesn't want you to view watch your breath as an observer because he says that just perpetuates the illusion of your ego self separate from the rest of the universe you the counting of your breath and the breath itself are all one so you go out with the breath into the universe so once he gives us the method we start getting kind of deeper into it and you know, also day three was when I seen, I seen a lot of pictures. I seen like faces appearing on the ground and sounds and like little hallucinations, partly because you're exhausted, partly because your mind is like scrunching, like you're pulling on it. You know, you're like sitting there for hours and hours and hours, quieting it and quieting it. So some weird states arise. And that that's like day three-ish. By day four, five, and six, people are... um your legs and stuff stop hurting. You don't get tired anymore because the energy that you've cultivated through the meditation, just like there, they're still extremely strict, like can't even lean back against a chair, nothing like that. But you're used to it now. You're starting to move in the flow and, and people's breaths start getting so elongated. I was probably breathing twice a minute. My inhale was just, forever and my exhale so slow it was like I wasn't even breathing and you get so down into the present moment like so there so merged with the breath so um free from thought free from thought form and everybody has this deep spiritual connection even though they're not speaking to each other because it's way beyond words and you, and you got to remember the energy in this room is magnificent because they chant in there they meditated in there. The monastery itself is located on a good energetic center. 
And you're not just like lay people meditating. You're, there's been monks meditating in there for years. The one night, the Roshi, the teacher, and one of his teachers, another Roshi, came and they both meditated with us. And the energy in the room was like, we sat there for two hours. I could have sat there for five um, without moving a muscle. It was so powerful. And so people have different, I didn't have a, I would say a Kensho, which means an awakening or a Samadhi experience. I didn't really break through into another plane of reality. Um, and it just all depends where people's at. Like I've done a lot of consciousness work. If somebody hadn't, they probably would have had a lot of breakthroughs. For me, it was just like furthering my practice. Um, but not to say that when I left there in those last couple of days, I was, you know, high out of my mind on the spirit on the spiritual energy that was within me. But so that, that was kind of how it went. And the point of all that hard stuff they did in the beginning is they're just trying to break you down for this awakening process. And so the teacher also, he comes one day and he gives a talk about the nature of reality. And he says, you know, there's the six realms, there's the hell realm, the animal realm, the human realm, the, uh, Asuras, which are like demigod-like beings. There's the Praetin realm, which is the ghost realm. And then there's the realm of the gods. <clears throat> and I'm not going to get into detail about all of these right now. But he gives us a meditation where you see all the suffering that goes on in all the realms. And then you use that to develop compassion. So you can't get the misunderstanding that these aren't deeply loving, caring, friendly and even funny and compassionate people. But that's not their practice. Their method is very stringent to get there. And like the Jetsu, the guy who's running it, until the last day, you couldn't even tell that he had a personality. Because when you looked into his eyes, there was just nothing, there was nobody there. And the teacher himself was really a so high of a being that there was almost nobody there. And not in the sense that he had no personality. He actually was very dynamic and he's an author and he speaks and teaches in Europe and here, but you could tell that he was so detached from everything, not in a not involved sense, but like you could tell that he just seen how things were and like he just understood how it all was. And he was just like, he was really there. He was like really present, really clear, really powerful. And so he says, which is said in the Buddhist literature, human birth is said to be the ideal birth because even birth as a god, which involves much more pleasure in millions and billions of years of lifespan and power and vast, you know, just ambrosial bliss, it usually is very tough for beings to progress spiritually because they're in so much bliss, they don't do the work on themselves. And then when their god lifespan ends, then they eventually got to go back down somewhere else. And so the human birth is a good one. We're in a rough age and we don't live that long, but it's a good one because there's so much pain in it and some joy and the ability to use intellect, which the animal realm doesn't really have. The hell realm has too much suffering. The Praden realm, they're kind of like, they don't understand that much. The ghosts, they're like hungry, craving entities. Um, and the Asuras are like, the demigods, they just want power and like they quarrel. So the human realm, there's a good mix of intellect, of joy, and of pain. And the pain it helps you seek enlightenment. Because if you were fully satisfied with everything, you wouldn't venture out to find out what this is really all about. So that's kind of 
that's what they do there. That's all they do is, you know, he teaches people how to move towards awakening. And they have all these practices. They keep you with the simple ones at first. But by the end of it, you're just really, um, you're really connected and you're really free. And it's not, you know, you break through a lot of barriers. And also there's a big part of it that's unseen. Because when you do that type of work, it's not all about how you feel in the moment. It's working changes inside your soul that you can't really, um, that you can't really perceive at the moment. That'll come up eventually later. And so that, that's kind of how it goes. You meet with the teacher three times a day if you want to. He might ring you out in like two seconds. Like he could do, you know, he might ask you one thing or you say one thing and then he's like, okay. And he just says, mostly all he says to me is, keep doing the practice. I said, I'm trying my best. He says, okay, you're picking up steam. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Because once you get to a certain point in your practice, you realize like all those feelings of bliss and whatever, they're not to be clung to. So like, I don't sit there and I'm like, oh, I feel so amazing. Even though I do, I just keep focusing on the practice, keep concentrating, keep focusing on the breath. So that, that was it. And then on the last day, the last morning, we still sat there for a long time. But then when it was all over, they did all, because there's very formal. We do tea ceremonies all day, cookies, and we do chanting and all kinds of stuff. A cool thing the teacher did was a, was a fire ceremony. So like, this is a side note. It didn't really have to do with the practice, but it was pretty cool. Um, so in the middle of the hall, they have a big room and they're doing a fire ceremony a big like altar in order to invoke this deity they're invoking a deity so that it will accept these pieces of wood with prayers written on them for people's health etc i wrote one for my dad's health so the roshi sits there and he has all these bells and incenses and like little weird things and for half an hour he proceeds to just chant mantra He's hitting all these different things, moving things around, shaking things, laying pieces across the fire pit, which is in the middle of the room, this little bowl. He's doing all this stuff. There's monks on each side of him chanting different mantra. And you were, everyone else, he says, just join your energy with it. Just join your energy with it since you don't know the mantra. Just be part of it. And you're just out there, man. You're just like floating out there because the energy is so powerful you're just like stoned out of your mind on the spirit you know it's like it's uh it's a real feeling it's like a deep feeling and like that's an abundance of energy that they're gathering up inside you and really the zen practice there they do focus a lot on uh on energy cultivation and on maintaining attention and awareness throughout everything you do so that was that was a cool part of the fire ceremony but on the last day finally when it was all done they let us eat an informal breakfast with actual paper plates and they let us talk to each other. And that was kind of how we got to actually, you know, talk to the people and you felt so close to them, even though you hadn't spoken to them in the whole time, just because like you were on that journey with them and in that place. And then, then the jitsu, the, the sternest guy who's yelling at us all the whole time, I probably got yelled at a dozen times or more. He's so nice. He's like giving people hugs and smiling and like, you got to remember, he's the most hardcore there is because not only is he running this thing, he's doing every single thing that you're doing in it. He's sleeping just as little. He's meditating just as much. Every single thing the same as you, but he's also running it. 
And he's also going to keep doing it when you leave, and he's also going to run the next one, because that's what they do. Every day during the four months of the year, uh, like October through January, it's a slightly less when we're gone, but not much in between the seven-day sessions. And then the other eight months of the year, they get like an extra hour of sleep, and they get like some more time to study at night. So it's still pretty intense, but um, they'll get like a little bit of a break. But like this guy, that's all he does, you know, and he's going to be there for years. And so, and there was a woman like that and a few other people too, that had just kind of got there. And so they all dedicate themselves to this teacher, to the Roshi, because he's their spiritual vehicle that they're using, you know, they're using to attain enlightenment. They're using to get free. So I just thought that was cool because it's not your average experience and I wouldn't recommend it for most people although they do have beginners ones but it's good before doing something like that to have a foundation of your own um meditation practice and your own studies before you hop into something like that although you don't have to I mean there is people that go straight into something like that it'll be even harder but you you actually will be very rewarded I mean if you've never sat in meditation and and you have all these issues in your life and all these things like you're going to have, at the end of seven, those seven days, you're going to be broken through a lot of barriers and your whole life is going to be seen differently. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to share about it, whether people were interested or not, or just interested in hearing about such a process, I thought would be pretty cool. So um, thank you for letting me share and please let me know if you guys have any questions. I've done a ton of ups, updates on my website, becomingnobody.org, and have offers on there for... Um, Talks about recovery, talks in person, or um, talks about spirituality, meditation, training. So if you want to check any of that out, that is on my website, becomingnobody.org. And um, you can also donate there to help me make these videos. And thanks for letting me share, and I'll be back on soon.